electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Last Call, a huge takeaway from the Fed that won't make your eyes glaze over. And we're going to go all John Madden on this one. Labor upheaval. Are Americans getting behind the spread of strikes? We've got some surprising findings. Billions and billions of your tax dollars gone. Where did it go? Demands for accountability over COVID fraud ramping up. Plus, IPO woes. Is the comeback party already over? And how technology could actually be hurting the quest to find E.T. Famed astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson is here. All that and much more across our little universe tonight. So belly up or buckle up. Last call is up right now. Hi, everybody, and welcome. I'm Brian Sullivan. We're going to get to all those stories across the hour. First up tonight, UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak stunning his country today, announcing he will roll back some of their planned climate-related policies. And that includes the UK's planned ban on sales of new gas and diesel-powered cars. They plan to enforce that ban as of 2030, just over six years from now. But Sunak has now decided to push it back to 2035. Here's what the Prime Minister had to say on the decision. But at least for now, it should be you, the consumer, that makes that choice, not government forcing you to do it. Because the upfront cost still is high, and we've got further to go to get the charging infrastructure truly nationwide. Now, where have you maybe heard that before? Either way, not making some people happy on both sides. And interestingly, There's been a little bit of a business backlash as well. Listen to this. The head of Ford in the UK releasing a statement saying, quote, the UK's 2030 target is a vital catalyst to accelerate Ford into a cleaner future. Our business needs three things from the UK government. Ambition, commitment, and consistency. A relaxation of 2030 would undermine all three. End quote. That is from Ford. Now, Ford has already committed, like GM, tens of billions of dollars globally toward electrification, 530 million of it just toward Ford's UK development and manufacturing facilities. In other words, they're on their way. And the UK's new climate plan impacts more than just EVs, something we talk a lot about. In his speech, the prime minister also announced a significant delay to the phasing out of gas powered boilers. These reversals driven by what Sunak calls the imposition of, quote, unacceptable costs on citizens. Remember, the UK has been suffering from high energy costs for years now. They're below where they were, but they were up here with some Brits spending so much money on their winter bills that they often have to choose literally between heating or eating. If you remember, we talked about this happening over two years ago. I went live to London And we talked about it. If we saw it coming, why is the UK government maybe so slow to move? 
and more importantly to our audience here in the United States, could we soon see these kinds of delays in dictates right here? Remember, at least nine states have said they plan to ban gas-powered car sales, and that includes California, which already has a law on the books to do it by 2035. Let's talk more about all of this and take it to our next guest, who is an energy expert, also an environmental and free speech activist. Joining us now is president and co-founder of Environmental Progress and noted author Michael Schellenberger. Michael, obviously we talk a lot about this topic and I don't want people to get bored by it because this is not really to me about cars. We talk a lot about cars. To me, this is about politicians literally dictating to a public what they are allowed to do. And at least Rishi Sunak of the UK realizing maybe this is not the smartest thing to do politically, especially given what we have gone through the last couple of years. Yeah, that's I think that's right. Uh, good to be with you, Brian. I mean, I think that this is the a couple of things are going on that first there's this realization that electric cars and electric boilers are just more expensive than gas powered vehicles or in, in gas powered uh, stoves, obviously gasoline and gas. Um, this is something that experts have been pointing out for years. Uh, these are more expensive technologies for inherently physical reasons. You know, you mentioned Ford there. It's invest. It has a lot of sunk investment in selling more expensive trucks. I would point out that Ford has lo been losing $60,000 per EV that it sells. So this is not necessarily a great business for them. I do think that all of the other mandates are going to have to be rolled back. And we will see them roll back over time because of the higher costs. There's obviously a political dimension to this, too. And so Sunak is looking to uh, the next elections, to his political popularity. And he's trying to seize an advantage here and position himself as somebody that's more on the side of of working class Britons and people worried about high energy costs than his Labor Party opponents. And, and to, it's exactly what I tweeted and to your or X'd, whatever we call it now, Michael. And to your point, this is why Ford and probably some other businesses are upset. Now, it goes kind of counterintuitive, right? You think, why would they be upset about this? They are losing a lot of money. They obviously don't plan to continue to lose money forever. They're sinking costs into new facilities, into worker training. And now you're not it's not an about face because they're still planning to do it. But my guess is, and tell me if you agree, we're going to probably see some of these states, New Jersey, California, because politicians like to be elected and reelected. They could also push back on this and maybe delay or roll this back. Yeah, I don't think there's any question that the, there's going to be delays to the implementation of these bans on gas powered vehicles in the United States or stoves. The, the cost yeah, or stoves. I think the cost is not or boilers. The cost is not going to come down. Quickly, in fact, it's actually gone up. And it's interesting to note that this has been happening on EVs, on wind energy, um, and on solar. You know, wind energy, there was an auction in Britain, and they couldn't get anybody to come in at the prices. They were too low. Uh, we're having uh, major uh, uh, delays to East Coast uh, wind build-out, mm -hmm. which is partly related to concerns over the whales, which is a concern of mine. But I think there's also just economic factors here that have been driving up the cost of wind turbines. But I think those cost pressures are going to stay for years to come. And I think as you get into political season, as we are both in Britain and the United States, and then certainly in the States, California, a couple of years after that, I do think they're going to have to uh, push back the implementation of these regulations because the technology is just not there. It's just the fact of the matter is it's just much more expensive uh, than, than the traditional gas-powered uh, technologies. Well, you know, we're going to talk about the Federal Reserve in the next segment, but I think the Federal Reserve has to be spoken about in this segment, Michael, because it was so easy to make these plans when money was effectively free or super cheap. 
right? If you're Orsted, the big Danish company, and you want to build these wind farms off the coast of Rhode Island or New Jersey or Massachusetts, it was your cost of capital was much lower. It's now gone up to the point where you have to go to the utilities and say, we're not going to build this wind farm unless we get, I think at one point Orsted had asked Rhode Island for a 71% overall jump spread out over the number of years. And Rhode Island pushed back and said, no, thanks. This is also a cost of money story, I would have to imagine. Because by the way, if you want to go out and buy a $60,000 EV, fantastic. Go do it. But if you're borrowing at 10% to do it, it makes it a little bit harder. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I think that um, there's a vicious circle that gets created, obviously, because um, with the inflation driving up the cost of the EVs, the cost of the wind turbines, you also have consumers that are under greater pressure themselves. They don't want to pay more for energy. So you see it really having a bite in both directions, both for for consumers um, of the electricity and also for the producers and so that leads to this vicious circle. I do think that's why it makes it inevitably going to make it a political football. So any politician who wants to be promising lower energy prices or lower prices overall is going to start to demand a rollback of some of these really stringent climate demands. Uh, Ford, I think it's interesting, the conflict, it may end up having to clash with the companies that have a big sunk investment and are hoping for even more government and taxpayer subsidies, but may not be getting them. I think that's starting to be reflected in some of the stock prices of companies like Orsted and perhaps of Ford. Yeah, Orsted's down huge. I mean, listen, it's some of these top-down dictates basically telling the consumer what he or she is allowed, literally allowed to do. And consumers, guess what they also do, Michael? They vote. Michael Schellenberger, thank you. Good to be with you, Brian. All right, let's get a quick check now. The futures market. There we go. Looking at the futures market, which is the future, which is tomorrow. The NASDAQ futures down just a little bit. We'll get more in the markets in a bit. All right, one block down, much more to come, including last calls first and maybe only ever attempt at going all Monday night football on you. We're going to break out the Telestrator to highlight something you may not know about the Federal Reserve. Plus, where did nearly $200 billion, with a B, in stolen COVID relief go? Congress dialing up the pressure for answers. One of the lawmakers leading the charge will be here. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. It's okay if you aren't ready for kids right now. It's okay if you don't want to be a mom now or even ever. It's nobody's decision but yours. But do you know what's not okay? Not knowing how effective your birth control is. Talk to your doctor about effective birth control options so you can make an informed decision. Tap to learn more. I've always thought that the soft landing was, was a plausible outcome, that there was a path, really, to, to a soft landing. I've thought that, and I've said that since we lifted off. It's also possible that it, the path has narrowed and it's widened, apparently, uh, ultimately, um, 
it may, this may be decided by factors that are, that are outside our control. That was, of course, Fed Chair Jay Powell and his thoughts about a soft landing to the economy. It comes after the Federal Reserve decided to not raise rates again. It's the second time the Fed has not raised rates since it began its battle against inflation. But it's not just about what the Fed does. It's about what the Fed sees, meaning their projections on interest rates later this year, next year, and into 2025. Those projections can influence a lot of things. It can particularly move the bond market. And when the bond market moves, your borrowing costs move. In other words, the projections themselves are important. But unfortunately, they have not been close to what actually happened. Let's show you. All right, so we made a couple of charts. We're going to pull my, my inner Steve Kornacki here and try to telestrate for you for the first, and if it doesn't go well, the last time ever on Last Call. Okay, so this is what they call the dot plot. I call it the Fed light bright. Each one of these little dots represents one of the Fed members, and they basically say, where do we see interest rates going? Okay, so this is the current Federal Reserve, 2023, and guess where we are? We are right about 5 to 5.5%. And this is 2024. They see a slight decline to about, uh, we'll call it 3%, some of the lower voting members, 3% in 2026 and beyond. Okay, this is where we are now, 5% going down just a touch. But where were we exactly two years ago? I mean, not 20 years ago, two years ago. Okay, two years ago, which is now the yellow, we were here, right? We were at 0%. And look at this. The Federal Reserve's voting members, many of whom were the same women and men that are on there today, their guess two years ago was that in 2023, now, we would be at what? About 1 to 1.5%. That's where they thought we'd be. This is where we actually are. We are actually at 5%. That's a miss of approximately, what, 2 to 3 hundred percent in their projections. In fact, the projections for rising rates only now meet lowering rates about three or four years out. Again, the Federal Reserve thought we'd be here, but actually we're here. This is September 2021. The vaccines were out. Most of the American economy was getting back going. All right. Now, to be fair, to be fair, the Fed is not alone in missing the fact that rates would have to soar. Many other super smart finance types also missed it. So it's not the pick on the Fed. What's done is done. But maybe a good lesson that even the experts get it wrong, sometimes spectacularly wrong, or at least a very missed projection. All right, let's talk more about the Federal Reserve and what's going to happen, not what has happened and bring in our A-list panel, Stonex Chief Market Strategist Catherine Rudy Vera and 248 Ventures Chief Strategist and CBC contributor Lindsey Bell. Lindsey, again, we're not doing this to sort of pick on the Fed, okay? I'm not sure anybody saw this path of rate hikes. The point I was trying to make was that two years ago, what they saw coming today, where we are right now, is so far different than where we actually are. It's like, let's take a drive from D.C. to Vermont, but we end up in New Orleans, And I'm just wondering, how do you project out from here? How much do you take what the Fed says as sort of gospel? 
Yeah, I mean, it's hard to take anything the Fed or other economists, for that matter, take as gospel. Uh, but what I will say, what caught my eye is, is the change in direction of a lot of their estimates. They were significant for the Fed. What we saw was GDP expectations for this year and next year were increased. We saw unemployment come down a good clip. And we saw even PCE, core PCE expectations for this year, they were cut pretty substantially. The Chair Powell, in his press conference, he, he commended the, the, uh, the progress that we've made on inflation thus far. But he also dropped the phrase, uh, proceed cautiously several mm. times. So it was like he was kind of hedging the fact Imagine that they increased that. Their, their economic outlook so significantly. What did Alan Greenspan years ago, decades ago, Catherine, say? If, I, if you understood what I said, then I must have misspoke or something like that. I mean, here's, here was the point I was trying to make about the Fed. I believe you are based down in South Florida. You go down to South Florida in 2021, the economy was booming. And yet the Federal Reserve was stimulating as if everything was still, I'm kind of doing this with the camera, sorry, was still super locked down. And I think that's the mistake that they made. Tell me yes or no if you agree. And why do we care? We care because a lot of Americans are now getting pinched by borrowing costs that have just sprung up on them and they're suddenly paying 12% for a car loan. There are two things that are historically improbable. One, that the Fed's forecasts are precise across the board and accurate. And two, a soft landing. Both of those things are historically improbable. But the market has discounted them as very likely, if not the base case. Even the Fed basically laid out in its uh, uh, summary of economic projections um, this perfect soft landing scenario, but then said, no, soft landing is not our base case. It clearly is the base case. So I think on your program, Brian, what I said a couple of weeks ago was go long tips, you know, it gets offensive, buy put options on, on tech. And since then, those, tra those trades have paid off very nicely. I do think that the Fed is going to have a tough time cutting rates next year. The 100 basis points that were priced in in June, I think taking 50 basis points off of that 100 rate cut projection in, in, in its expectations for 2023 yeah. makes is more is more coherent with the higher for longer message the Fed is trying to send. Well, if we could bring that the, the, the plots, the light bright, whatever from today back up, guys, because I think the issue, Lindsay, is to what Catherine's saying is the Fed, the projections is that they think they're going to actually start to cut rates next year. Some on Wall Street might agree. And again, but, but so here we go. This is sort of the, the, the pace of where, and I'm showing our viewers kind of a slight decline, indicating the Fed thinks that they may be lowering rates in 2024, 2025. Let's hope they do. And I bring this up because if this is accurate, then our viewers out there that are thinking of buying a home or wondering where mortgage rates are going, this may provide, Lindsay, a little relief if you believe it. Catherine sounds like she doesn't. Do you? You know, they, they reduced the number of cuts that they are hoping to make in 2024. Um, I think it's TBD. It, what they are doing, though, is making, making their, their policy more restrictive by reducing the number of cuts. So real rates are going to actually be higher than what they had previously expected. So that's going to be tough for the consumer. It's going to be it's going to be tough for, for markets in general. So I think the the other side of the coin too is that if we if they start cutting rates, it's because there's they see a problem in the economy usually. Mm -hmm. They don't typically start cutting rates 
in a, in a strong economy. And I think that's what Powell was saying, is that he expects that the economy could potentially be stronger than most people expect. Of course, he was definitely gearing towards yeah. a soft landing, even, even if he was denying it. Um, and, and if the economy is stronger and consumer spending is better and the job market is hotter, yeah. that's going to be in, mean inflation can, can remain sticky or move higher. And they're going to, they may have to move higher. And, and to their, to Jim talked about it in Mad Money. They, they, they've engineered this slower landing pretty well so far. So on that note, you, I think you do, Catherine, have to give the Federal Reserve and Powell and his team a little bit of credit on that. But and I want to make sure I heard you, you said you want to go tips. Treasury inflation protected securities. That sounds like you think there may be more inflation ahead. Oh, by the way, oil is at 90 bucks. Correct. And that does eventually flow through to core PCE. We also have, of course, other phenomenon such as fiscal deficits that that is enormous heading into an election year. We also have the CHIP Acts and the, and the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, there's, there's a lot of things that I think are inflationary, but the primary one I would say um, Brian, is that the main drive driver of core PCE is services. And we are a service-based consumption with a consumer that's remarkably confident. So unless that change, and like Lindsay said, the Fed, yeah. you know, something has to break for the Fed to get to that 2% target. It's going to be difficult in the current environment to have both the soft landing, no landing, and the 2% target. Yeah. And, and let's hope that doesn't happen. I'm going to end by drawing my projection of the consumer facing higher interest rates. Lindsay, <laughs> Catherine... Thank you very much. We survived. All right, still ahead. Nearly 200 billion gone. Where did mountains of COVID relief funds actually go? Congress is looking for answers and we'll try to get some next. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, Packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. The brazen theft of COVID relief funds making headlines again, this time for the government itself. Fraudsters may have stolen up to $135 billion in federal unemployment aid during the pandemic. That is according to a new analysis from the Government Accountability Office. If you do the math, that's roughly $1 out of every $7 in COVID jobless aid stolen. Wow. This follows the news that the Justice Department charged more than 300 people last month with offenses connected to the alleged theft of more than 800 million in pandemic relief. And in June, the Small Business Administration announced it may have given away more than 200 billion with a B in potentially fraudulent funds. That is about 17 percent of the more than one trillion dollars distributed, allegedly either wasted, stolen or both. The question is, where did all this COVID relief money go? And is there any way to get any of your money back? And this is, let's remember, your money. Let's bring in the chair of the House Small Business Committee, Congressman Roger Williams of Texas. His committee is holding a hearing next week to try to find private sector solutions to recoup some of those stolen funds. Congressman, thanks for joining us. You know, if, I th if I, people say, well, it's gone, it's just the government money. Yeah. What if I said to somebody, one out of every $7 of your paycheck 
would have been stolen or sent to the wrong people. That's kind of what we're facing here. Well, no question. And uh, as my as, as chairman, we have oversight of the of the SBA, and this whole thing is a disaster. We know that one out of five loans were fraudulent. Uh, we know that uh, through Inspector General, and you mentioned two hundred billion dollars is missing. But shortly thereafter, uh, we got another report that says it may be as much as six hundred billion dollars. Uh, the uh, the SBA uh, they want to argue with with us about that. They argue about the number, not that there's fraudulent loans out there, but they want to say no, it's not two hundred, it's not six hundred, it's thirty six billion. I mean, like it's chump change. And then they want to write that off at $100,000 a clip to where the American public doesn't see it. And this is taxpayers' money. Uh, and uh, it just shows the, in, that the inability for the government to do things like this. We had the PPP program, which was done through the Treasury. It worked out pretty good. But this is a disaster, and it's one that they almost are just blowing off. We, Brian, we had a hearing uh, that we asked the inspector general to come and talk about what his findings were and also ask uh, uh, Secretary Guzman, to come also, and she turned down coming to the meeting. I mean, I would have thought that if she'd been, these numbers had been thrown at her, she would have come with all, all the artillery could, she could come with advisors and, and lawyers and so forth, but she just no-showed, empty chair. That shows you how they think about this. But we're going to try to find this money. You're exactly right. It's taxpayers' money. It belongs to taxpayers. And I will say this to you. In, in small-town America, there were small businesses that probably applied for a PPP or an idle loan. They didn't get it because someone else got it, like a foreign national. We know that money went in the hands of foreign nationals. That really, really upsets me. We want to find out uh, where it is. We want to get it back and, uh, and, 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 and prove that, that we can do something. But it's taxpayers' money. It's been stolen. Uh, it's stolen by people with false identities, made up phony Social Security numbers, and they just received the money. And there's people that we've talked to, Brian, that got money in their bank account, didn't even know what it was for. So it wasn't, it, it's a real disaster, but we've got to get the money back, and we're going to work hard to do it, and we have a plan to get it there. Yeah, it's just, it's, it, we've got to let you go, Congressman, but it is kind of just amazing how somebody could fraudulently enter the system, we send the money over to, to Russia or wherever it goes, right. and then people have, to, by the way, the same people have to wait months to get a deserved refund from the IRS. It's just, the systems well, maybe need to be fixed, and uh, counting on you guys to do it. Congressman well, Roger Williams, thank you. It's good to be on. Thank you. All right, you're welcome. All right, still ahead, strikes surging across America this year, disrupting business and even some lives. So how do Americans really feel about them? Frank Luntz is here with some surprising answers. Time now for tomorrow's news tonight. Some of the stories you're going to be talking about tomorrow morning, CBC style. First up, some good news. Strong results for FedEx. Aggressive cost-cutting efforts helped boost the bottom line in its latest quarter. FedEx also lifting the low end of its full-year earnings guidance. The news sending shares of FedEx higher after hours. Hopefully, that would be a good sign for the economy. Plus, the UAW strike still crippling to a bit Detroit and the auto industry. And today, GM announcing it is temporarily shuttering a plant in Kansas, laying off nearly all of its staff. GM says the workers at that particular plant do not have any work available since the UAW strike has stalled production at other GM plants. So where exactly do stand, things stand this evening? Phil Abode joining us now, and I saw you breaking that news uh, this afternoon. Seemed like kind of almost a counter-strike from GM, Phil. I don't think it's a counter-strike, uh, Brian. Look, we see this in strikes, and I've seen it in the past with UAW strikes, where if a particular plant is on strike, 
then you're not going to get uh, things out of there. And that happened here. The Wentzville plant outside St. Louis does stampings that are ultimately sent over to Fairfax, Kansas. So they don't have that work anymore. And as a result, they have decided to idle that plant. So here's the latest on this uh, UAW strike now. Officially, what, five, almost six days into the strike, six days down. The seventh will be tomorrow. GM has idled the Fairfax, Kansas plant. That's where they be the, build the Cadillac CT4, as well as the Chevy Malibu, laying off approximately 2,000 there. Stellantis today announcing it's laid off 68 at the facility in Toledo, Ohio. Another 300 in Kokomo, Indiana, are likely to be laid off soon. And Stellantis did make a new contract offer today. Now, we don't have details in terms of what was offered by Stellantis to the UAW, but it is significant that we haven't had one of the automakers, or really this is the first since the strike began, to come back with a full, what the UAW would call a full counter offer. Doesn't mean conversations and discussions aren't taking place. And one last note, Brian, there was a picket, a picketing line, practice picket, whatever you want to call it, outside the Stellantis headquarters uh, in Auburn Hills, Michigan. Now, keep in mind, these are oftentimes UAW members or supporters of the UAW. This is their way of sending a message, in this case, to the folks at the headquarters of Stellantis, that they are strong in their commitment to what the UAW is fighting for. We're going to see this more and more at other plants, other facilities, locations, headquarters, uh, as long as this strike continues, Brian. Uh, this is going to be a dramatic pivot here, uh, Phil. But last night, UAW head Sean Fain tweeting, I don't think he's ever tweeted before, but he's tweeted out a, a short clip of a movie. We had to censor it because it's a Samuel L. Jackson clip from the movie The Hitman's Bodyguard. But Fain saying, quote, I just wanted to give you a quick bargaining update. But you can see from the clip, it's an angry Samuel L. Jackson. What is the reaction? How, how are we supposed to read into this? Look, what Sean Fain is doing on social media is galvanizing the UAW members. They love his Facebook Live updates. They love what they're sending out either through their Facebook channels or through other forms of social media. In many ways, the UAW has taken a page from what Donald Trump did when he first ran for president, using social media to get across the message, trying to go around the traditional forms of uh, the media. Look, he calls most of us, he calls us and others the corporate media, as if we're not giving the full story here. Uh, it, look, it's a smart move in terms of reaching his base. And I've talked to a few people who are picketing who have said, hey, you know, did you, did you see this on Facebook? Did you see this, you know, in uh, wherever, whatever social media channel? So he's just reaching his base. And uh, in his regard, in, in his view, that's a smart way of letting them know he has their back. Yeah, using it pretty effectively, I think, if uh, we are showing that clip. Phil LeBeau, appreciate it. Thank you very much, Phil. What, did the, what did the comedian Mitch Hedberg say? I'm against picketing. I just don't know how to show it. All right. With the number of strikes and threats of strikes that we are seeing across America and all kinds of industries here on Last Call, we're going to take a, a look at just how maybe you feel about unions and their place in American labor. And get this it surprised us. According to Gallup, 67 percent of surveyed Americans approve of unions, down just slightly from 71 percent last year. But that is up from under half of America approving of unions back in 2009. What does this mean and say about public perceptions of unions and their strikes going forward? 
Let's bring in Frank Luntz, pollster, political strategist, and author of Words That Work. And Frank, you've got some insight into this. Let us know what that is. We've been doing focus groups across the country. To my surprise, organized labor has a unique opportunity right now to make the case that they truly represent a workforce that's been ignored, forgotten, and in some cases betrayed. It almost does sound like a Donald Trump campaign. Second, corporate America right now, the numbers, the credibility numbers are awful. The Democrats still believe that they're making profits at the expense of people, and the Republicans are tired of all this diversity, equity, and inclusion. And third, with inflation as high as it is, the people struggling to make ends meet, this is probably the most important point, they will do anything to get increased wages because they simply cannot afford the food, the gas, the health insurance, the, the automobile, and the home. So this is not a strike to make a political statement. This is a strike to make a, a day-to-day difference in the quality of life. And you can agree or disagree with the UAW, but they have a point. The profits are up. I mean, that's a material statistical fact. CEO pay is up. Again, material statistical fact. And they can use those political wedges. And I'm sure if you're advising them, Frank, you would probably say the same thing. Go after the CEO pay issue. Go after the profits issue because that's the way you're going to change any negative public sentiment, perhaps, to your side, because we all deal with inflation, to your point. Well, the same thing is happening in Hollywood with the writer's strike, where the public does not understand why these studios are making record profits, at least that's the perception, and the writers are being paid barely minimum wage. It's There's so many things, Brian, where the public does not really understand what is happening. The vast majority of Americans hate the death tax. The vast majority of Americans believe that the workforce is not being compensated properly. The vast majority of Americans believe individuals have the right to choose where they work, whether at home or in the workplace. And in this case, two thirds of Americans believe and support the union and a very small percentage, only 19 percent support the corporations involved. You know, we, we've talked a lot the last few days. Frank, I don't know if you caught it. We led the show with it tonight, sort of about the U.K.'s pivot away from you know, basically dictating, mandating that people have to buy a certain type of car over another one. And without getting into any of the, the actual EV aspect of it, that's not your thing. But how do you think people feel about being dictated to by the government? You have to buy this. You have to do that. The last time I checked... I thought the elected officials worked for us. Don't we hire them? They're acting like they're our bosses just telling us what to do. Well, that's the philosophy in the American public right now, which you would think would benefit the Republicans, is a leave us to hell alone philosophy. And in the focus groups, they're not using the word hell. But by the same token, the public also expects Washington to provide a safety net for them and expects the corporation to put them first, not the shareholders. Ryan, I think that there's a communication disconnect that's happening right now in corporate America. And if they don't start paying attention to just how much the public supports the UAW workforce and to just how favorable unions are right now, those corporations are going to get a big wake up call as these strikes continue and as the American consumer supports the workforce against the corporation. And may, maybe more to come, by the way, uh, uh, some some healthcare insurance workers Maybe going on strike at the end of this month could be the biggest health care insurance strike 
in American history as well. This is not over. Frank Luntz, always appreciate your insight. Fascinating turn there by the American public. Can you blame him? All right, coming up. Have the lights just flipped on at the IPO party or are there some troubling, maybe somebody called their parents? We're back right after this. Another new stock for you to buy made its debut on Wall Street today. It's called Clavio. They're an email and text message marketing company. The stock did pretty well, jumped up 9%. It was over 20% up, closed up 9%. So a decent day for Clavio investors, but maybe they should fasten their seatbelts because based on recent performance from other major IPOs this year, could get pretty wild. Look at Instacart, for example. It's down 28% since its opening trade and now only 10 cents above its IPO price. Arm, all the hype, it's down 6% since its first tick. Similar story with the Mediterranean Chipotle called Cava. It has lost nearly a quarter of its value since the opening trade. Again, not the IPO price, the trade. And remember J&J's consumer spinoff called Kenview? It's lost 18% of its value since that opening trade. So what's going on here? Let's bring in Eric Jackson, founder and president of EMJ Capital. Eric, is this supposed to go like this? I think it's, you know, on the one hand, Brian, the fact that we're talking about any IPOs basically 20 months after the last batch of tech IPOs came out in December 2021, that's a mile marker saying there's some degree of risk appetite coming back into this market besides just the Magnificent Seven. But if you had to pick one word to describe all these IPOs, especially the batch of recent tech IPOs over these last few days, I'd say tepid, which says to me that the risk appetite still has, has a ways to go here. If this, if this rally is going to broaden out this beyond just the magnificent seven. You know, I don't know if you heard our previous segment, Eric, we're talking about the unions and public perception, kind of the little guy, the blue collar worker getting screwed. And I do worry, listen, stocks go up, stocks go down. But I do worry if we see a bunch of these IPOs start to really tank, it's just going to once again be a punch in the gut to the individual little guy investor who's not getting in at the IPO price, buys into the hype, and then gets whacked. Well, I agree. I mean, I I think all little guy investors, um, retail investors, I think they've got to treat all IPOs with some degree of caution, especially over these next few months, because... You know, we just don't have any strong signals about, uh, you know, the, the degree of, of support that these kinds of names are going to take. Uh, Clavio did well, as you said, but it came out and kind of immediately sank. Um, Instacart, you know, had a quick pop, you know, it was up to like 40 bucks and it's it's gone down ever since over the last two days. So these IPOs can always be a little risky, especially in the first few days when the float is short and institutions are jumping in, jumping out. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think all retail investors should should you know take a breath, you know, and wait wait a couple yeah. of months. Let this thing settle out. Yeah, and see how the rest of the market reacts, and hopefully these companies, some of them are new, some are not so new, are are welcomed into the market in a positive way and not losing twenty five percent off the first tick in a couple of weeks. Eric Jackson. Great points. Welcome back anytime. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Time now for our quicker than the ticker, the best of the rest of your headlines. Let's put 60 seconds on the clock. 
The Biden administration canceling $37 million of student debt for those who went to the University of Phoenix. The Education Department says the school's ad campaigns misled students about job prospects. Waymo taking on L.A. The robo-taxi company is allowing residents to hail a self-driving taxi for free, all ahead of a larger-scale launch. Kraft Heinz recalling nearly 84,000 cases of Kraft Singles American Cheese due to a wrapper issue. Customers complained about potentially choking or gagging on a piece of film that clings to cheese. 2182, that is when the asteroid Bennu could possibly collide with Earth. Yeah, you heard that right. NASA scientists announced that Bennu could pass through what they call a gravity keyhole, which would allow it to drift into Earth's orbit. Bennu, roughly the size of the Empire State Building, it would pack the force of 22 atomic bombs. And a sully side up for you. Disney's Magic Kingdom bear successfully relocated. Good news for the bear and probably everybody else. All right, coming up, when you have a story about the intersection of technology, artificial intelligence, and extraterrestrials, there's only one person you can bring in. And that is astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson. An out-of-the-world discussion you won't want to miss next. To quote the X-Files, the truth is out there. But these days, it may be harder to find than ever. Reports, rumors, conspiracy theories all around the existence of things like aliens have been around for generations, of course. Remember the War of the Worlds, H.G. Wells? Well, today, thanks to the growth of technology like generative AI and social media, these things can spread at warp speed. Case in point, you might have seen that story out of Mexico. Last week, a ufologist with a rather checkered history presented what he said and showed were mummified alien corpses to the Congress of Mexico. There they are. He claimed they're about a thousand years old and discovered in a remote part of Peru. Story took off like wildfire, whipping across social media news platforms. Some experts have since dismissed the claim, saying the ufologists failed to present hard evidence. Those were actually mummified aliens. Also, they pretty much look like E.T.'s second cousin. But the spaceship already, so to speak, had already left the barn, and it's highlighting scientists' concern that any true alien discovery could be dismissed by a skeptical public. So who better talk about all of this than Neil deGrasse Tyson, probably the most famed astrophysicist around and author of a new book to infinity and beyond. Neil, I love having you back on because my, my son's favorite book literally is Astrophysics for Young People in a Hurry. So now he thinks I have a real job. Thank you very much for coming on. <laughs> You know, we're talking about all this stuff, and it's crazy, but your book goes into some things like the existence of black holes. And, and could that entail a way for there to be almost like the wormhole concept in sci-fi for yeah, the, the, the way to think about this is uh, wormholes are very real on paper. And if you ask, how would you make one? Well, you need something that has the opposite force of gravity, like negative energy density, negative matter that could then pry open a portal. We don't know what that is or what that would be. So it sounds very science fiction-y, but what we detail in the book To Infinity and Beyond is go back several hundred years and stand there flat-footed looking up to the moon. And if I said, how would you ever get to the moon? You say, I don't know. Do I sail there? Do I take a balloon there? And I say, no, you need this magic, mysterious substance called jet fuel, <laughs> and you need a jet. And so that's the same conversation I'd be having with them that an advanced culture might be having with me about the existence of wormholes. 
And when you're researching this book, what was the maybe the one thing that surprised even you about what you found? I mean, I just whenever yeah, so I think about the, the, book, the universe, I get my mind hurts. Yeah, uh, the book doesn't just skim where everyone explored and didn't die or didn't make a mistake, right? It tells you all of the fits and starts that we experienced as a species attempting to ascend from Earth into the air, into the vacuum of space, to the moon, Mars, and beyond. And the beyond is now with our robotic emissaries. So what I would, what I learned from the book is how many more errors and mistakes we made than I had ever imagined. And we detail those, not to say, well, these people were idiots. No, somebody's got to make the mistake for Icarus. Icarus, do you say, well, I will never fly again because he died? No, you'll say, if I make wings, I ain't making them out of wax, okay? <laughs> so this is how you ascend on the errors and mis missteps of others. I'm going to say something. I'm not embarrassed to say it. And you could tell me that if I'm completely wrong and I, and I, the audience would probably love that Neil. So, so please do just, you know, uh, based on statistical probabilities, the number of solar systems, galaxies, likely planets, I would, if somebody said, do you believe that there is, you know, extraterrestrial life out there? I would say unequivocally, I do. I don't know if it still exists. It may have already been gone. Maybe it's yeah. being birthed right now, and in a billion years, something will crawl out of the slime in a pond. I don't know. Is that a fair thing to say? It's, anyone who has studied the problem agrees with you. The universe is vast. The, it's the, count, the number of stars is huge. Planets around the stars is huge. The ingredients of life itself are everywhere. We're made out of the most common ingredients in the universe. So it's a different question to say, are these lights and fuzzy objects in the sky visiting intelligent aliens? We don't know what they are. We can ID some of them, not all of them. But just be, I've said this before, just because you don't know what it is doesn't mean you know what it is. That's what the U stands for in unidentified flying object or the rebranded abbreviation the government uses, UAP. Who, who are they kidding, right? The UAP, yeah. Unidentified aerial phenomena, same thing, of course. There's a lot of so, stuff going around, though. You got the point that social media can amplify this deal. It amplifies it instantly. And I don't have a problem with that. The aliens in Mexico, I'm glad they put them forth. Now, Look at that. share that with other scientists so that we can decide, what, is it a hoax? Is it verified? That's how <laughs> science progresses. Yeah. Not by the lone wolf saying, I have the thing that nobody else has, and it's real. No, and, we got to double check that. And by the way, it looks just like E.T.'s second cousin. I mean, there's <laughs> E.T. on the left. Look at that. Do a better job if you're going to fake a mummy, a space mummy. Neil, <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson, thank you, sir. Appreciate it very much. All right, folks, with that, we're out. I'm off tomorrow. I got to think about aliens and stuff. I'll be back on Friday. Have a great night. Take care. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.